0: today's episode is sponsored by you my patreon subscribers join the family by visiting patreon.com forward slash Nalini Tranquim hey guys welcome to today's episode of under the rug I'm your host Nalini Tranquim I am having a raw conversation with an incredible man Rob Mason who is a mental health advocate expressing his passion through speaking, writing, and mentoring. Rob and his wife, Karen, were the lead pastors of a church in Perth, Western Australia, for 23 years. They have two adult children, Emily and Jake. Now, Rob is the author of Shame Off You, which I have got a copy right here. It is a book that focuses on the shame connected with mental health struggles. It's a book that calls the reader to stop settling for concealing, distracting, and numbing shame. It describes the way out of shame as being a daring journey that encompasses courage, vulnerability, and dramatic ebbs and flows. Oh, I love that. So grab your coffee, find a cozy spot, and get those headphones on if you're heading out. Drive safe if you're on the road, and let's get into it. Rob, welcome to Under the Rug.
1: Oh, it's so good to, this is going to sound really weird, it's So it's good to be under the rug with you. <laughs> Let's get under the rug. That's a little
0: That's, bit I'm cheeky. I'm a really bad
1: start. <laughs> I'm very cheeky. Okay, firstly, get from here.
0: <laughs> firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, but I also want to thank you for writing your book.
1: Oh, my privilege.
0: My goodness, thank you for being so honest, because mm-hmm. honestly, it gives people permission to be honest with themselves as well.
1: Yeah. Well, you can relate to it. It's one of those things I had to write the book, if not for myself, but obviously for a wider audience of people who are going through you know, similar challenges. And it's quite ironic that I wrote a book because throughout... Primary school, high school, English was not my sweet spot. I was really bad at English, probably still am. I I didn't like reading. I didn't like writing. I failed the HSC and I certainly failed English. So I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd ever be able to even articulate my thoughts and experiences. Um, But, yeah, grace of God. he, He sort of got me in a place where, and you know the journey yourself, that vulnerability of you start the journey. And you think, "Oh, this is going to be a good book," and then you go, "What on earth am I doing? Yeah, yeah. Am I kidding myself? Who's going to read it?" Like, yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's daunting. Now, when I asked you originally, when we were talking <clears throat> about you coming on the show, yeah. I asked, um, "What scenario from your own personal journey can you bring to the table that you believe will resonate with my mm. under the rug listeners?" Your response was. My private world began to implode, implode. in early 2007.: Yeah. Talk to us. What happened?
1: Well, from my perspective, um, always going reasonably world from the outside looking in, I was uh, a son of a pastor. And I was still in church, <laughs> which is quite a miracle. <laughs> still love God. Still and still and yeah, I'm I'm in this church, and we're doing some really good things in the city of Perth. We've got credibility, and outside looking in, yeah, I, I'm this this guy that's uh, leading this church that's quite innovative. We began in the pub. Uh, we, we we're right. doing work among the poor, homeless, people with mental health issues, and we were this real eclectic community of believers. And as things were going really well, in a moment everything changed uh, by just going out, having a meal with my wife and some friends, and I had my first panic attack in a public place.
0: What?
1: And like a lot of people, I know you've experienced them as well, the first one in some ways is the worst because you don't know what it is yeah is it a some people say oh the first one was like a heart attack I didn't think it was a heart attack I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I thought Whoa. I was publicly going crazy and and with anxiety your mind tends to... Uh, catastrophize so within yeah. seconds I saw myself in a psych ward I saw my uh. wife divorce me out of ministry totally disqualified and this is all within seconds and I'm you know hyperventilating I had to run out of the restaurant because I I just I was afraid of what what is this and what, what does this mean so I knew then life is going to be very different. Ministry is going to look different. Wow. Thankfully, I didn't end up in a psych ward, and even if I did, you know, God's grace is there for that, but it was just a really long journey of counselling and learning the physiology side of anxiety, learning to take control of my breathing, my bodily response, all the time trying to figure out... Where is this? Where is God in all of this? Where is this going to lead? How long is this going to take? And after about six months, why? Mm. Why does it seem like I'm going backwards? Why is it getting worse? Oh wow! Particularly in a, and I don't like the term anymore because I don't even know what it means. But in a Pentecostal sort of setting there's a sense of, am I an embarrassment to our movement? Because right. one year, two year, five year, I'm still struggling <sighs> with panic attacks and I should be, you know, the overcomer. And yeah. uh, so it's been yeah. a a very messy uh, time. But then I think you could relate to this. I, I discovered that spirituality is messy. It was never meant yeah. to be tidy and orderly. I just... I was probably keeping myself up until 2007 that I can just have this orderly mm. life that could be impressive and and yet God just was almost mm. like God in His mercy said Rob enough yeah let's do a deep work and wow. uh, it's like oh can we do it in private <laughs> it was like yeah no, no, this, this is going to be very public
0: very public that's the thing with shedding of layers right. <laughs> it's gonna happen at some point yeah absolutely did you get any kind of many
1: layers yeah and and the whole thing of sorry
0: I was gonna say did you have any sort of forewarning that this was coming did you sense that this was gonna happen or did it happen just like that
1: it happened like that but through counseling I saw there were warning signs I just like a lot of people I ignored them Denied yeah. them, you know, things like insomnia. For years, I wasn't sleeping well. I was always thinking if I went to a meeting with a group of pastors straight away, I felt inferior. I felt like I didn't belong.
0: Wow. I should have at
1: that point thought, Rob, that, where is that coming from? But, yeah. you know, you're, who's got the luxury of that sort of time to do times of reflection? And I don't know if it's possible at that level to do it on your own. I actually yeah. needed so unskillful to take me back to those defining moments I like to call them my defining moments of dysfunction and and to make sense of it and know that it hasn't been wasted yeah so it was sudden but then now in hindsight I thought oh Rob yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: there were so many signs but I just you know should be right
0: yeah (laughs) soldier on (laughs) We we are going to reference that line (laughs) later on in our conversation. What was the domino effect then of the anxiety and the panic attacks on your family, on your loved ones, like your life, your immediate life?
1: For the family, my children were probably, both were in probably primary school, late or early high school. So they were old enough to know what is going on. They knew something was Mm -hmm. wrong. There would be times we went out for a meal and I had to leave and then i come back and it was like, what was that? It was, oh, I was just feeling unwell.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Or a time I took Jake out to the movies and about a third of the way through I started having a panic attack and I had to say, sorry, uh, we've got to leave. And then as we're leaving, he's going, Dad, what's up? I said, oh, look, I'll tell you later. It's, you know, if it was a headache, it would be easy to explain, but when it's emotional for a kid. So I, I was sort of torn between... I wanted to protect them and I didn't know what, I didn't want them to know what was going on. But at the same time I thought, well, I wanted them to enter into my world and so to realise, look, it's emotional. Um, There are times my heart just beats uncontrollably, my breathing goes really crazy and sometimes I can breathe through it and other times I can't and I've just got to leave. And so it was impacting on them. And then for my wife... (sighs) Nothing equipped me to deal with my stuff, but then nothing really equipped my wife, Karen, to deal with, well, what do I do with my husband who's a pastor? Yeah. And sometimes those boundaries are really blurred. And
0: yeah.
1: how do I, what's the right response? Do I... Not, not that I wanted sympathy, but, you know, what does compassion look like? Yeah. How much of it's just, oh, look, let's just get the elders to pray for you, you know, lay in, lay their hands on you, get filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, and it was like, oh, it, it wasn't that easy. Sometimes it is for people. That's their experience, but my experience was like I was filled with the spirit but I was also filled with a lot of pain and it was just coming to the surface and I think it's possible to be filled with the spirit and yeah be filled with pain and doubt and oh
0: 100 percent I mean like it wasn't too long ago where I was battling with um I was diagnosed with PTSD we had experienced an extremely horrifically difficult time as a family yeah and I spiraled and it was crazy because people were seeing it as if I was falling away from God. Yeah. And it was, I felt almost like a split personality because it was hard Mm -hmm. to say that I'm actually in a really good place with God. Like like we're great, but I've got this PTSD that I'm trying to navigate, you know?
1: (laughs) It's like people in um, grief on the one hand, they're the ones that need counsel. Well, at times they've got to give other people counsel on how to respond, yes. which seems crazy, doesn't it? I know. But it's almost like you really don't know what to say, do you? You don't know what to do with me. I'm dealing with grief or I'm dealing with anxiety and you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing. You don't know, do we ignore it? Do we just pretend it's not there or do we keep talking about it? By keep talking about it. Does it make it worse? And so yeah. my wife, Karen, said how do I respond when you're in the early stages of a panic attack? And I said, the last thing I want is you to say, calm down. Are you okay? Relax. All I need you to know is I'm going through it and that's about it. You you know, I'll get through it. I've got through it before, but I, the worst thing to do is panic about panic. The worst thing for you yeah. to do is, okay, uh, okay, breathe, breathe. I know how to breathe. Uh, I just need some space. Uh, yeah, I need to see a new, just a quiet confidence. Okay, so having another episode, we'll get through mm. it. It doesn't, it lasts a few minutes. Well, the intensity lasts a few minutes. The, the impact of the panic can last several hours. You just mm. feel wiped out. And then the spiralling questions, oh, why then? What did I do wrong? When's it going to happen again? And yeah, yeah it's... It sucks.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, though, because that's going to be invaluable for people who have loved ones who are navigating this.
1: Yes. You know,
0: what to do, what not
1: to do. Yeah, well, certainly, and as Christians, we mean so well sometimes. (laughs) I know. know, Pray more. The Bible says don't be anxious, so just don't be anxious. It's like, yeah.
0: Yeah, don't quote the Bible at me right now.
1: I don't. (laughs) And, you know, when Paul or even Jesus is talking about anxiety, they're talking about the anxiety associated with no food, no shelter. They're not talking necessarily this 21st century yeah. hyper, oh, the world we live in now. Yep. Although first century, hey, you got the Roman Empire, so that, that was tough. <laughs> true. Yeah, first, true. You know, 21st century is insane when it comes to, our mental health, you know, we, we are on core twenty four seven. You know, forget that Jesus. Sometimes he would walk for two days between ministry times. You know, imagine that a day oh. of walking outdoors, Mediterranean sun, and yeah, the diet heat they had, and then here we are, twenty first century, where go 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 we're on the phones, and we're doing this and we're doing that, and the expectations. So no wonder, you know, yeah. I think. Our pace of life, including the church and Christian leaders, it's
0: absolutely. Maybe it's
1: even more complicated because of our faith, our expectations, and right. So yeah, it, on your own level, anxiety, mental health is challenging. But then you bring your children, your parents, loved ones into it, uh, siblings, and and then you bring in the church community, oh, and, yeah. and you bring in. Well, for me, it was the eldership. And if I share with the elders, which I did, you know, are they going to have a meeting about, well, what do you reckon? Can Rob Mm. carry on in his state? Yeah. I just took a risk. I just said, well, this is who I am. This is what I'm going through. So I shared with the elders very early in the piece saying this is what's going on. And within about a month I shared with the church that I was getting counselling because I just saw Wow. If I can tell the share with the church and say, Look, come on the journey with me and be really open, even when I went on medication, it almost took out the. Sometimes I think when there's a vacuum because there's silence and mm. no one's talking about mental health, well, now the pastor's talking about it, not because he studied it, he's going through it's it. He's
0: going through it.
1: It yeah. almost gives permission for yes. everyone to think,
0: oh, This is okay. Absolutely, and that's why I wanted to create this platform, because this is life, right? This is real life. And let's face it, you don't often hear a pastor in the thick of ministry, in that position, owning up to the struggle that he's facing.
1: Yeah. No one told me to, and I didn't do it to be this, wow, what a vulnerable person. It was almost like the church we had, uh, we had our strengths, we had our weaknesses, but one of our strengths... And if you talk to anyone that was part of our church community, would be the area of grace, uh, vulnerability, rawness. It's mm-hmm. always been that way. Our, our worship was raw and vulnerable. Our community, when I shared in my preaching, I didn't just give theology. I just, hey, this is what I'm wrestling with and so I just said to people and we didn't lose anyone I was thinking oh, I wonder wow. if we're going to lose anyone you know people, oh gosh we've got a basket case for pasta <laughs> it, it was almost like I had oh, it was almost like I had more credibility which sounds yeah. bizarre yeah my pain my weakness was like we can we can trust this guy
0: yeah it made you relatable I think
1: relatable is the key word it was almost like thank goodness this guy he's, he's normal he's normal I've got a spiritual depth but at the same time yes there yeah it, it's yes. okay to be wrestling with God and wrestling with your own yeah nature
0: yeah yeah you know it's it's interesting because I've been on both sides you know uh, a part of a flock and then being on the other side as a worship director in London, which I talk about in my book. And I know you've, I know you've read it. So yes, that's, I've that's read, really yeah. awesome.
1: Oh, that was um, harrowing. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, no, no, <laughs> you said what? Yeah, oh, no. I
0: know, but I know. it happens. It does happen. Yeah. But I think, I think what my biggest lesson has been um, putting my leaders on pedestals and, yeah. you know, almost, expecting them to be perfect and not have Mm -hmm. any problems. So it creates a separation then between the sheep and the shepherd when actually the shepherd has just been put in that position to lead and to nurture and to love, but they are just as human as the sheep, right?
1: Yes. And we shouldn't be surprised because you read the Bible and people that God chose and works through, it's like, (laughs) really? You chose Jacob and... (laughs) Abraham and and Ruth from the, I mean Ruth was an amazing leader but you know she was yeah. an outsider she wasn't Jewish and yeah and it's fascinating you go right back to a conversation God had with Moses he said look here's here it is when you get into the promised land your people are going to look at other nations and they're going to want a king Hmm. And he said, whatever you do, don't go down that line. And, of course, God allowed God's people, even Samuel, said, hey, I I know what you said to Moses. And God said, look, I haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Appoint a king. But it was never meant to be that way. We were never meant to have that level of leader. Um, We were to have that, you know, the, the Moses type or what have you, but not a saw." Uh, yeah. or Jezebel or uh, yeah. whatever because um, we've always needed leadership since the fall you know in the garden we didn't need an appointed leader Adam and Eve were created equally image bearers of God God was a leader God was a king God was a prophet God was yeah. the pastor but since the fall yeah, there's been this yeah. whole thing of wrestling for leadership. You know, the man will now be head of the wife. Well, that was, wasn't was in the beginning. That was afterwards. There's going to be this play structure. of um, structure and yeah. insecurity and power and domination, intimidation. So we've yeah. been wrestling ever since.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, your journey, I mean, obviously goes right back. I've read your book and it's just off the Mm. charts. So to my people, you you. need, you need to get this book. Shame off you. It's absolutely brilliant. Now your journey obviously goes back to childhood. Yes. And you actually say at one point, um, in your book, if you're a parent, never, never underestimate the detrimental damage of silence and disengagement with your children when they experience trauma. Yes. Can you share with us how you came to this revelation for yourself?
1: Sure. And to give, um, I, I guess i got to applaud Brene Brown, because she was the one I think I quoted. And, and she articulated, I think what Brene's done for a lot of us, she's articulated what we've always yeah. known and sensed, but she gave language to it. So yeah. as a child, I had, from my perception, I had a probably from the outside looking in, it was probably no big deal. I had my first experience of team sport. It was soccer. I didn't know how to play, but I guess when you're, you know, you're five and six, all you want to do is run after the ball. But for whatever reason, I stood away from the pack Hmm. and they're kicking the ball to each other and I'm standing away thinking, what if I make a mistake, which Mm. begs the question, where did that come from? But eventually the ball came my way. I kicked it. I kicked it out and some kid from the pad turned around and said, why did you kick the ball out? And mm-hmm. it was almost like this echo, why did you kick the ball out, ball out, ball out? Mm-hmm. And from there on in in that game, I was, I didn't feel guilty, like I made a mistake. I felt shame. Wow. I felt inferior. I felt I don't belong. I'm not good enough. I'm not skillful enough. What made the situation worse was when I walked home with my dad Rather than Dad saying, hey, um, gosh, that was a good kick. Yeah, but, Dad, you know, I kicked out, but, yeah, but it was a good kick. And, you know, that sort of, hey, it, it was only one game. Um, let's practice when we get home. Let's get together with some friends after school. Yeah. He was silent.
0: Mm. Now,
1: as a kid, you interpret the silence any oh. way you can. So I began to join dots with Dad's silent. It must mean oh. he's embarrassed. Like yeah. I feel humiliated. My dad must be humiliated. So I told dad, mm. well, I quit. I am i don't want to ever go back to that team. I don't want to play team sport. There was no, hey, come on, Rob, just hang in there, give it another month or whatever. It was just, again, silence. So I interpret that as, yeah, that's probably the best thing to do. Now, mm. I'm not blaming dad. Of course. Because at that time, dad was unemployed and unemployable yeah. because of depression so he was in his world yeah and a part of his world because depression was he was very passive very silent very disengaged but as a parent my word of encouragement we're often afraid of oh i don't want to say the wrong thing the worst mm. thing you can do is say nothing yeah and you know sometimes we try to rescue and be the messiah hey it's not that big a deal i think as parents we need to validate Whatever your child is experiencing, oh, you must be disappointed. Yeah. Oh, that must have been made you really sad. And then just to bring a better perspective—that's uh, brilliant. Whether, That's brilliant. But silence. Yeah. Yeah. Silence communicates, and silence and shame often go
0: mm. hand in hand.
1: So it's almost like dad. He, he he experienced shame and I experienced shame and shame beget, was begetting shame and it was like, just don't talk, just mm. don't challenge, don't uh, just run away, do what Adam and Eve did, hide, <laughs> you yeah. know, hide from yeah. the other boys, just quit the team, hide, cover yourself up and don't ever put yourself in that situation again. Don't ever do team sport because chances are you'll, Do what you did before, let down the team. The craziest thing about it, I bet all those boys went home and probably didn't even think anything off my little mistake. 100%. But for me, it was just replaying in my mind. It was just over and over again. Why'd you kick the ball out? Why'd you kick the ball out? And shows you at a young age, you can start writing your own um, biography. You can start writing your own story about yourself of, okay, Wow, failure is horrible. Avoid it at all costs. I failed. No, I didn't just fail. I'm a failure.
0: Yeah. So there's
1: a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I made a mistake. I never felt guilty. I felt shame. I am a mistake. I don't belong. And it was just, yeah, I'm not good enough. And that has been my story, well, was my story for about 25 plus years. Yeah. Until that whole um 2007 yeah. scenario of which at first it was like oh, here we go again I'm a failure I don't measure up I don't wow. belong. but that's when the beauty of counseling came in of who told you that
0: yeah
1: where did that come from who why did you believe it was true yeah uh, it was just yeah. a stunned I just
0: well, because no one ever told you it wasn't true. So exactly. That, it so it became your truth. And then that it became, became your truth. cycle throughout life. Yes. Oh, it's no wonder it all imploded.
1: Yes. And I needed it to implode. I, it was almost yeah. like, I think I said it before, it was God's mercy. 2007, from one angle, was the worst year of ministry. I think from God's perspective, it was probably my best. Because it's like, Rob, do you really want to live with this for another 10 years, 20 years? You yeah. could even be successful. Your church sure could grow. Yeah. But really? Yeah. At, the, at what cost? Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Mess is good.
0: Mess is good because, oh, yeah, because it's the only way that we have a chance to heal, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, just while you are talking, I just have this, feeling that there's people listening to this today mm-hmm. who are at imploding stage yeah what's your advice to them
1: oh you've got to, <laughs> it's easy for me to say it now but you've got to go with it don't mm. try and prevent it yeah see it is not god punishing you but it is the mercy of god And whether you feel it's coming on or it's just happened, God's not intimidated, God's not embarrassed. My encouragement would be when I experienced that imploding, I was fortunate in my church, I had a key leader who was a mental health nurse. Wow. And I said to this lady, Lindy, I said, Lindy, I just had this bizarre thing. I don't know what it was. I described it. Within moments. I wrote that was a panic attack. And I thought,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what is it? I've seen it on movies, you know, people with a paper bag, and I didn't understand what it was. She explained it briefly, but she said, I've got a friend who's um, a counsellor, specifically CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. was like, well, well, what's that? And she said, well, basically she's going to listen a lot. You're going to tell her your story and then she's going to look at your thinking and challenge it and help you to think differently. So it was like, well, so what, not just take a tablet. Yeah. <laughs> she said, well, you might yeah. need that, but Basically, she was the first one to say, Rob, this is going to be a long journey.
0: Yeah, this wow. will not
1: be one session or a few sessions. You know, you're talking about 30 plus years of um, habitual thinking yeah. and behaviour and reacting. That's, yeah. but God's going to be there on the journey and the Absolutely. community is there on the journey. So for your listeners, oh. the imploding is the mercy of God. The imploding is Okay. Mm. Let's deal with the stuff. Let's go on the journey. There are times if you go down the counselling route, uh, there are times you'll come back from a session to think, "Oh, that is amazing. I, I, I've got it now. I think I'm, I'm almost through it." And then other times you you go, you come home and you you're just you're just wasted. Yeah. There are times I got home yeah. and Karen said, "How was it?" It was just I just cried my eyes. Yeah. It's yeah. getting worse but it's it's yeah. like spring cleaning you know yeah. sometimes you got to make a real mess get everything out throw some stuff out before wow. you put stuff back and uh, but again wow. see the bigger picture yeah and yeah. yeah when everything hits the fan it's okay
0: yes it's absolutely okay. i um i i don't know why this is and i don't know if it was the same for you but mhm counselors and psychologists were certainly frowned upon when I was, you know, I I don't know what that is. It's always been, no, 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 we'll pray for you and God will heal you and you'll be fine. And it's always been put down as this is a spiritual thing and and God will fix it. But to be honest with you, when I was at breaking point in 2019 and I had no choice, my doctor said to me, you need to see someone and he sent me off to see the psychologist. It was the best thing I Mm -hmm. could have done. Yes. Because she actually brought practical strategy to the table to help me when I was right in the middle of panic yes. attack, you know. Yes. Um, And I believe that, you know, yes, we're spiritual beings, but we're also physical and mental physical. beings too, mm-hmm. you know. And, yes, God it. can heal us just like this, but I think sometimes yes. he needs us to go through the journey. Yes. Right?
1: Oh, absolutely. My two children, who are both in their early 20s, both have – type 1 diabetes. And so that was a shock when they were diagnosed with that. Emily was 16, Jake was 20, 21. And I thought nothing of them going to a GP, going to a specialist, getting insulin and and whatever else. And yet when there's an emotional turmoil, Mm. why is there this? Why would you go to a GP? Well, I need to go to a GP before I'm referred to a counselor. Why would you go to a counselor? Because I'm sick. Yeah. my brain's sick my my heart is sick yeah and I think too in you know particularly that more charismatic Pentecostal stream we see you know spiritual warfare yes uh the power of prayer yes the pr- power of positive confession yes but why do we see this conflict whether it's either or I
0: Mm. I just went for the
1: works. I got prayer. I had people praying for me. Any time there was an altar call for people with mental health, I, you know, I went for (laughs) it. But at the same time, I I looked at my diet because there were things possibly contributing to anxiety, depression through my diet, um, exercise, but then counselling. And like everything else, you know, I could say, talk to your GP. And for some of your listeners, they go to their GP and think, oh, That was hopeless. They they just, you know, said, oh, here, I'll I'll write a script. There are good counsellors and not so good counsellors. There are great therapists and really bad therapists. So I was fortunate I went to a therapist who was brilliant.
0: Yeah, great.
1: And that helped a lot. Great. So sometimes you might have to go to one or two before you feel that connection. Absolutely. Persevere. Yeah. Uh, but the first person you got to talk to is your GP, because they will um, put together with you a mental health plan, which is basically you writing out some things about your goals, uh, what your experiences be, what do you want to desire through counselling, and then they'll give you a referral, which means then um, depending on your financial situation. You can go on, uh, you get this mental health plan where you could um, get some sort of money back, so you might pay 120 you might yep. get $40 of that back. At the end of the day, I just said, look, I don't care what I pay. Um,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: You know, when you get desperate. Absolutely,
0: like, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: So no shame, and I think that was another one of those tests of – not being ashamed of seeing a GP, not being ashamed of seeing a counselor, not being ashamed of even with a counselor getting medication, it's it's all part of the journey of, yeah. well, if this is what it takes, so be it.
0: Isn't it so interesting how every step of the way in your oh, journey was actually confronting the one thing I know. that caused the problem in the first place?
1: Wow. And the beauty of, I guess, getting back to why I went public, If you think about the nature of shame, shame loves silence, shame loves secrecy. So, if you take secrecy and silence out of the equation and you tell people, you disarm shame. Yeah, it's almost like shame goes, Oh,
0: wow.
1: (laughs) You can't have shame and vulnerability at the same time. When you're vulnerable and you share with people, it's like, Well, shame's gone. gone. You just took all my power away. Wow,
0: that is extremely powerful. Okay, that actually I think leads us then to the next, the next question. You mm-hmm. paint a horrifying mental health snapshot of Australia in your book.
1: Oh yeah, Ugh. remind me. I haven't looked yeah. at that page for a while, and it's it would be interesting to find out 2020 and yeah. 2021 with COVID. Hello, I that's, know. Yes. I
0: know. Okay, so page 39 guys, when you get the book, page 39, I'm just going to read the statistics out because it's yeah. it's harrowing. It says here, one in 5 Australians aged 16 to 85 experience mental illness each year. 45% of Australians will be affected by mental illness in their lifetime. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are nearly three times more likely to suffer mental illness than other Australians and twice as likely to die by suicide every day, at least eight Australians. Die by suicide. This is Australia only, Mm. people. Suicide is the leading cause of death for Australians between 15 and 44 years of age. Now, you say a very interesting (sighs) line at the bottom. You say, something is fundamentally wrong within the soul of my nation. We have a popular saying in Australia, she'll be right, mate. Mm. The fact is, she she ain't right.
1: She ain't right. We are the lucky country. We're one of the most prosperous, beautiful nations on planet Earth. And yet behind closed doors, there's, there's a crisis. Yeah. And we're, we're probably, there's a lot more awareness. There's a lot more, um, not that we have to have the celebrity type of people, but I think it's helped having sporting personalities and politicians and, you know, media people, entertainers come out but, you know, we probably also need to hear from everyday Australians yeah. uh, that, hey, yeah, I'm suffering with mental health um, struggles. So hardly uh, a week goes by where there isn't something on TV, whether it's, you know, some sort of um, current affairs, the project or, or something where where it's in our face and it needs to be. Yeah, it needs to be. And, yeah, amongst our Aboriginal Torres Strait, you can imagine and only imagine it's a whole nother level.
0: Yeah. How, are we, that's still, in, how oh. are we still missing the mark, though, for suicide to be so high? Like the leading cause of death in Australia. Course. That's that's devastating.
1: Yes. From what I've heard, which is interesting, I would have thought 2020 there was would have been a dramatic increase. But according to Lifeline, there was certainly a dramatic increase in people making contact. But I I don't know, and maybe some of your listeners are more in touch. I don't know if there was an increase in the rate of suicide. But
0: I can I can answer that for Melbourne because I'm in Melbourne and I actually contacted the coroner's office during 2020 because I was extremely concerned about this. And they actually contacted me back and said, no, we have not seen a spike in suicide, which I thought was extremely interesting.
1: I was pleasantly surprised because I was ready for 2020 to be a a year like no other year, and I I think it still was. Yeah. Maybe because people were more vigilant, maybe because, I don't know, it would be it'd be fascinating two years, five years to really look at, at, at this, you know, pandemic yeah. and how it's impacted us. But, you know, people working from home, having yeah. children at home, homeschooling and loss of income and isolation and all. Yeah. I'm amazed. Yeah. But look, we haven't come through it unscathed. I, I don't think right. we're quite seen it yet and I can certainly say uh 2020 I don't know about you I was up until that point probably doing quite well in my mental health but 2020 I I certainly spiraled down I had to go back on medication I had to increase medication and uh it was part of my deal and I'm thinking wow I'm sure a lot of people who already had mental health issues 2020 just yeah it it went to another level but then I, I would imagine Many Australians who have done pretty well in life, you know, anxiety, depression hasn't been a big deal. I'm sure a lot of people went, wow, yeah. I, I experience anxiety at a level I've never experienced it before. Absolutely. So no. it was almost like, not good, but it was almost like there was a level playing field. We are all experiencing oh, anxiety, trauma. For sure. Fear, overwhelm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, once in a hundred year pandemic.
0: Yeah absolutely absolutely we're we're
1: doing well compared to most nations
0: yes i know and yet it was insane
1: it was like oh
0: yeah One of the topics I want to bring to the table is the argument Mm. pertaining to the church's involvement in state issues. And here's the thing. Surely the closer we as Christians get to our heavenly father, right? So the more we grow in wisdom, understanding, and discernment concerning the days that we face and the condition of our nations, surely then we should be coming up with solutions for society, right? That is, that is quickened Mm. by heaven. So with this in mind, and with your own personal experiences with mental health issues, what should we as the church be doing to change these statistics to, to be imparting into our next generation when it comes to things like mental health, right? And I'm not talking about the institution of the church. I'm talking the church, us as individuals, what should we be doing?
1: Oh, brilliant question. Um, because the church should be this redemptive community, this place, this safe place for people yeah. to go to. You know, right. we, it's almost like in the ideal world that the the government and others should be looking to the yes. church. Yes, but it's almost like I don't think we're. I even wonder uh, as a. The church in Australia. I don't. Are we ready to be that voice? I, I think we're still doing catch up. I don't know if we're ready yeah. to be the light. Unfortunately, it, it's probably rather than say your listeners waiting for the church. Maybe it, it's it's more just the individual voices.
0: Absolutely, and
1: become a collective voice. It's not yeah. so much well this church or this denomination. It's it's a real grassroots one on one. Day-by-day wow. day conversations where, you know, we don't need to be looking, and I'm not putting this denomination out, but we don't have to be looking to Hillsong or C3 yeah. or The Baptist. Or the, I, I just think we need to, we we probably actually need a grassroots movement. Yeah. You, you know, we don't yeah. need Brian and Phil and Bobby and whoever else. We We just need... The conversations with our family, with our friends, our colleagues, and um,
0: it's interesting. I've um, been revisiting Jack Canfield's uh, book, his success principles, and his first principle is take responsibility. Yes, and I yeah. think so often we're looking to the institution of yeah. the church. To and fix not being things, guilty.
1: Yeah, yeah. Guilty as charged.
0: Yeah, of course. I think there's elements where we all have right, but I think yeah. at the end of the day, for the day that we are in right here, right now, every single individual needs to start yes. with self. Right, it, change starts with us as individuals. Yes, it's the only way that we're going to be able to to bring about any sort of change.
1: Absolutely, and, and like you, look, I, I'm all for. The church and the hope, you know, the church is the hope of the nation, la di up, but I, th- I think we forget that, well, the church is people and yeah. it's the day-to-day, it's not just the Sunday gathering, it's the Monday to the Friday conversations, interaction, because the moment we talk about the church, immediately we're, we're on the defensive because yeah. people think, oh, the church. Whereas, if I can just share my story, you share your yeah. story, your listeners share their story with the people in their world, that's when I think there's that collective credibility and authority and voice, but it's not under the umbrella of a yeah. particular brand, and so I, agree. I really do feel I'm thinking out aloud because I haven't been asked that question before, but yeah, i yeah, because when you think about you go back to the first century, it, it, it was your, you know, it was the church in the city, but it was Priscilla and Aquila and it was yeah. Barnabas and it was John Mark even after his, you know, whatever when parted ways with Paul and it was just, yeah, you know, the blind man, well, he got involved in a discussion with all these religious leaders and he just, look, I don't know the theology, but all I know is I was blind and now I can see and yeah. it was Jesus that did it. Yeah. So it's our story yeah. that people can't argue with. No. In a way, we're talking about brokenness, we're talking about mental health and everything else. Well, this is a time for the church to shine where, yeah, like, Absolutely. we probably I mean, give the impression that we're holier than now, we've got it together. It's like we are struggling yeah. with life and the precious of life, with family, marriage, just like everyone else. However, we are part of community. Mm -hmm. And we have a God who is so much more compassionate, inclusive and redemptive and Mm -hmm. merciful than the world is aware of. And what a great opportunity. Absolutely. It's almost like when we're at our worst, we, the church, can be at our best.
0: At our best. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, I want to actually ask you this question. Yeah. Because we are under
1: the rug, aren't we? We... Yeah, man.
0: (laughs) Okay, are you ready for it? (laughs) I'm ready.
1: This is not scripted, (laughs) I.
0: No, it certainly isn't, and you didn't see the questions beforehand either. Um, Nope. When you made the decision to be open and honest with your church about where you were at as their leader, Mm -hmm. you were vulnerable and you just poured your heart out. Yes. Did you find that it actually gave your people – confidence to come to you with their own struggles
1: yes yes fascinating out of the woodwork all these people almost with a bit of embarrassment look don't tell anyone but yeah I struggle with panic attacks and it's like yeah they came out of the woodwork and it's like I gave permission and not that I was strategic you know I saw what was going to happen I just took a risk And I had to be vulnerable because that's our community. That's what we're known for. We're we're this messy church that started in a pub that have all these messed up people. Mm
0: -hmm. Even though
1: the the primary, the core group of of our church was a lot of very well-to-do middle-class people, we we were just the most (laughs) fascinating community that on paper should not have worked. And it was almost like, by me sharing my story, it was almost like we got back to what our roots were when we, we began in the pub. It's like this is yeah. who we are. We're, we haven't got it together. We're messy. We're, we're, uh, not yeah. that there's a pride in our dysfunction, but it was like, yeah, and why, why shouldn't our pastor? Yeah. Why, why would he be exempt or why would she exactly. be exempt? So it was almost like, yeah, this should not be a surprise.
0: This has been such a good conversation because mental health breeds in silence. Yes. And and darkness and, and dark. isolation and Yes. right? Whereas by talking about it, I mean, we're seeing it in your story. The when you yeah. opened up, it gave people the freedom to open up and be real. Yes. And so I I think you have really hit the nail on the head in that the more we talk about this and share our own personal journeys with our colleagues, with our friends, with our loved ones, with anyone and everyone, we're basically saying it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to own up that we are broken and dysfunctional, but we are stronger together, you know? Yes. We don't face these alone, which is what mental health, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts wants you to think.
1: Yes. That's it. And that's part of that vicious cycle um, that in the natural, you do want to hide, like Adam and Eve, you want yeah. to hide, you want to cover up. Yeah. And we've become a little bit more sophisticated you know, we don't do fig leaves anymore, but, oh, we can use Christianese and all sorts of Christian whatever and give the impression, you know, we're in worship, we're just like this and, you know, yeah. we say the right thing. But what we need to do is almost allow God to uncover us Hmm. saying that covering doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It's temporary. Hmm. Let me cover you Hmm. with Christ and his righteousness.
0: Yeah.
1: And now that you're clothed, I want you to go out with this clothing and be, tell people about. Yeah. Both. It's almost like we're we're talking about, uh, our brokenness and the righteousness of Christ all at the same time. So people see our brokenness, but then they also see Christ in our brokenness. Mm. Because in the book I did talk, and I think it's fascinating when you look at the cross, so much of what was happening there was vulnerability and shame, the way that Christ was tortured, executed. Mm -hmm. He was either completely naked or partly naked. It was public. It was brutal. It was all about the Romans came up with not just torture, but we want to humiliate the victim. Yeah. We want to scorn them. We want to do all of that. And Christ went through it (laughs) so that he can cover us with his righteousness. Beautiful. And so what people see is, yes, they see our brokenness, but then our brokenness points them to Christ who is our covering. Oh, wow. Otherwise, you don't want to just be a community of brokenness, brokenness. No. We almost pride ourselves in our brokenness and how broken are you? Well, I'm more broken <laughs> than you. We don't want that, but we do want the honesty, the vulnerability, and then pointing Absolutely. to Christ. Absolutely. Christ in us, the hope of glory.
0: Rob, thank you so much. Guys, I have to emphasize that I believe every adult, but also every parent needs to read Rob's book, okay? It's absolutely brilliant. It gives such an in-depth view of the mind of a child experiencing shame and fear for the very first time. And there are things that we as parents cannot control, but we can equip our kids to cope with and push through. So, Rob, how can our listeners today get a copy of your book?
1: Yeah, very simple. If you go online to robmason.co or www.robmason.co, so no M, you'll you'll go to my website and then from the website there'll be a few articles. Look, to be honest, I could be a lot better, um, a lot more proactive with articles, but go to the website and you can order the book. For anyone in Australia, it's about a $5 delivery. I would love to get the book into people's hands and it's a really easy read. Oh, it is. I've actually written it particularly for men in mind because I know for a lot of guys, for whatever reason, we're not great at reading apart from sports biographies and what have you. But it's an easy read. It's interactive. There's a lot of time for reflection. Yeah. Yeah. and it's got a rule, you know, there's a bit of theology, but then there's a bit of well-being, there's a bit of nutrition, there's a bit of uh there's just a bit of everything.
0: Yeah.
1: And it just takes you on a journey. And it does. I think people also be surprised by the last chapter. It doesn't quite finish how. You expect a book like this too. (laughs) (laughs) Say no more. (laughs) Say no more. But Nelene, thank you so much because you took a risk. You don't, you've read my book, but you don't know. Well,
0: (laughs) it was worth, no, it was, it was totally (laughs) worth the risk. Now, before you go, we are going to close with on your marks, get set, go. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know this either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is 10 personal questions, because I just want my people to get to know you a little bit better, that you have to answer as quickly as possible.
1: Yes, okay.
0: Okay, so don't go anxious on me now. (laughs) Okay, you ready? (laughs) Okay, on your marks, get a go. What was the last TV show you binged
1: on? Oh, it was Netflix. It was Formula One.
0: Oh, my gosh, my husband would Oh, love so you. good. So oh, good. I think there's a new series, actually. Or is that what you've just been That's the one I watch. It was oh.
1: last year, 2020. It's okay. so good.
0: we got to catch up. Okay, what's your favourite sport?
1: Favourite sport, surfing.
0: Oh, okay. What's your favourite meal?
1: Well, it used to be steak and lasagna, but I'm now vegetarian. So I'm yet to find a really, oh. really <laughs> good vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for nearly a year, so I'm okay. yet to discover yeah
0: that's, that's a shift okay paint us a snapshot of an everyday moment in your life that makes you smile
1: oh I've got into swimming in an ocean pool in Sydney and that's been 40 years since I've done swimming and I'm really getting into it I love the ocean wow. pool it's cool it's salt water outdoors and I'm probably, my form's probably useless, but I just love it and I finish with a a smile on my face.
0: That is so great. (laughs) That's so good. Okay, who's your favourite human?
1: Oh oh my gosh, probably my favourite human, even though he's no longer with us, is Eugene Pedersen. He wrote the message, but as a pastor, he was the one like Brene Brown. He articulated my wrestling with the whole professional corporate aspect of church leadership.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love He's, it. Yep.
1: Yeah. Oh, I should have said my wife. Oh dear. I hope she doesn't see this.
0: <laughs> All husbands say that. <laughs> Isn't
1: that. Terrible. I bet my if my wife was interviewed, she would have gone, oh my husband. Oh
0: gosh. Okay, what's your favorite animal?
1: Oh, dog.
0: Okay, dog. All right. And what do you think of garden gnomes?
1: Garden gnomes? Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't relate to them at all.
0: I get, I get such oh, a mixed response.
1: <laughs> I like breaking garden gnomes or hiding them.
0: <laughs> okay. Are you a tea or coffee drinker? Coffee. Okay. And how do you handle stress?
1: Probably not very well. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Even after the book therapy, uh, it's yeah, it's it's still yeah. Uh, I've actually got this um, thing. It's called a whoop. Yeah, it's one of those things that measures heart rate and everything. And uh, my heart rate is most of the time way too high, through the roof. Oh um. yeah. I've got
0: okay. Last question: What are okay. you most grateful for in your life?
1: Oh, I should say my wife. <laughs> I'm going to redeem myself. <laughs> and seriously, I yeah, a family because, yeah. you know, you can do, you can achieve everything in life, but to do that without
0: yeah. family
1: or someone in your life to share it with. Um, and they've seen me at my absolute best and they've seen me at my absolute worst and I never yeah. felt judged, never felt disappointed, never felt like, yeah i'm i'm an embarrassment so yeah very grateful
0: i love it rob thank you so much for coming on the
1: show. Oh, so good to meet you we've i'm sure our paths will cross at one stage 100%. now that borders are open
0: absolutely okay well people i hope you've enjoyed the show um go and buy the book grab it now i will have it's all the course. details in the description field we'll talk to you soon
1: if this podcast has impacted you and the conversations we are having resonate with you we need your support to keep doing what we're doing. When you support us on Patreon, you will gain access to an exclusive community and safe space where you can connect with Nalini and other under-the-ruggers like yourself. You'll also be able to contribute your thoughts, stories, experiences, and ideas as we grow together. Visit patreon.com forward slash Nalini Tranquil.